Welcome to the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Carolyn Vallejo. Private equity investment in accounting firms has risen over the past two years, signaling that investors see the sector as an appreciating asset. Researchers agree projecting a $1.5 trillion market size for accounting services by 2032. Here with us to discuss what's behind acquirers rising interest in the space is Alan Colton, CEO of Colton Consulting Group. Alan, welcome. Carolyn, thank you. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for being here. Let's first look back into the recent past. What do you think first kickstarted this trend of PE interest in the accounting sector? I think PE had so much money and they didn't know where to park it. So they took out the uh, dictionary and accounting was the first letter. No, was, <laughs> um, so I, I've been working with private equity for about, uh, my gosh, this is, goes back 17 years. Uh, they tried to come into the accounting profession with a roll-up in 2007 and 8. Uh, it failed, uh, probably partially because it was the summer of 2008, and you know what was going on that summer. Uh, a couple firms tried again in 2011 and 12. In fact, I worked on that initiative. It, the, the PE firm was New Mountain Capital, and I mentioned that because years later, uh, they did officially enter the market. And uh, we talked to the CEOs of 20 of the 25 largest accounting firms in America, and they all said the same thing. Uh, we're a steady eddy business. Uh, we don't need capital. Uh, thanks for the offer. But, you know, when we need a line of credit, we go to the bank. And uh, we sure don't need to give 10 to 15 percent of our profitability away when the banks are making loans at, you know, one or two percent over prime. Fast forward uh, to the first quarter of 2020. Uh, someday, if I ever get time to write a book about PE and the accounting profession converging together, uh, that to me was the wow moment. Three or four things all happened at the same moment, you know, sort of in the category of you can't make this stuff up. Uh, the war for talent accelerated uh, in a way we never thought possible. Five straight years of double digit. Uh, decreases in the number of college graduates getting their accounting degree. Uh, the truth was uh, it wasn't paying enough, and there were many other great opportunities ranging from going to work for private equity, investment banking, data analytics, technology, and you name it. Number two, uh, for the first time in our professional lives, the accounting profession was founded in 1887, and 135 years later, we need real capital because of technology. Uh, to go out and build those uh, bots and AI and machine learning and blockchain and to essentially do what used to take 200 people hours and now do it at the flip of a switch. But it was a third T that I think caught everybody's uh, attention, and that was transformation. A transformation from being bean counters, compliance providers. You know, if you look at the accounting profession, we do two things historically. We provide financial statements and tax returns. Uh, I will tell you that neither one, rarely does a client ever say thank you. Nobody wants an audited financial statement. Uh, we do it because the bank, the lender, the PE fund, the, the surety, the bonding agent demands it if you want the loan. And nobody ever uh, says on October 16th or April 17th, uh, thank you for doing my tax return. That was a great experience. I don't know. I can wait another 364 days. Uh, we were in the business of providing what we call type one services, services that clients need but don't want. Type two services is where the future is. 
Uh, it's all about building out the suite of advisory, consulting, outsourced services. But to do that, and this is critical, you go out and you do M&A. The problem is with those kinds of companies, you have to put real cash, uh, currency on the table. And we don't do that in the accounting profession. We, we do something where we say, come join us. You get nothing. Uh, if you make it to 65 and you fully vest in our firm, We'll pay you two times your compensation spread out over 10 years as ordinary income without interest. Simply stated, the deal sucks, but it's all we knew. So private equity has come into our world. A, we need capital for technology. B, we need capital for transformation to go from compliance to consulting advisory. And C, we need capital because talent is going the wrong way. And what we're finding for many firms is offshoring going into India or the Philippines or wherever and actually acquiring uh, companies that provide workers. And those workers uh, are every bit as good as ours. And what costs us $125 in the U.S., guess what? It's $25 offshore. Make matters even more important, the young kids today coming out of the schools, they don't want to do the mundane. Uh, the reward they get if they're really good at doing it is you give them more and they show you they leave and they go somewhere else. As you know, the Wall Street Journal reported over the last couple of years, 300,000 people left the profession, uh, the great resignation. And uh, so game on, fourth industrial revolution. Uh, if you're going to thrive, survive as an accounting firm, you're probably going to need a capital and strategic partner. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, you just mentioned the Great Resignation, which I do want to get to later on in our conversation. But first, you just kind of touched on this evolution of the accounting space. Um, you know, accounting firms need the capital, as you say. Private equity acquirers will want to acquire businesses that are evolving, of course. So it seems like a mutually beneficial scenario when it comes to M&A here. How do you see interest among PE firms in terms of acquiring accounting firms developing today and into the future? Would you say that interest is still strong on both the buyer and seller sides? Great question, Carolyn. So, you know, the first official deal, uh, there were other ancillary deals, but in what I'll call mainstream public accounting, the first one took place on July 1 of 21. Uh, since that time in the pure accounting firm space, there's been about six or seven deals. Most of them happened in 21 and 22. 2023, unfortunately, was sort of the year that wasn't. Mm -hmm. Deals that would have crossed the finish line, uh, three things happened. Number one, uh, in some of them, there was litigation uh, that took place and it deferred the deals out. Number two, in some of them, there were pitching changes where CEOs left, the new ones came in, and uh, the PE funds wanted a little time to get their arms around that. And number three, and probably the biggest reason, is just the doubling of the cost of capital, the, the cost of debt, which was now two times higher than it had been as recent as the year before. Uh, most of the firms I talked to said we're going to wait to 2024. But interestingly, most of the accounting firms that had big transaction advisory practices, due diligence, QOV practices, said the same. Uh, we'd rather show our numbers based on 1231-23 results uh, and then uh, as we continue discussions through 24, you know, move more into the trailing 12 months, which we know are going to be stronger and better. So uh, my bold prediction is uh, quiet 23, 
I think 24, we'll probably see no less than a half dozen PE firms enter the market. And probably three or four of those will be with top 20 CPA firms. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for those PE firms entering the market, what are some of the challenges of investing in an accounting firm? What are these potential acquirers need to consider? So the I'll answer the question, but I'll, I'll do a little bit of just the vision right away. Um, you know, there's a, there's a group of PE firms and I know they all talk within EBITDA and size of check. Uh, we in the accounting profession talk in terms of firm revenues. Uh, there's, you know, there's a group I call them the heavyweights. You know, if, if the firm is typically uh, 500 million of revenue and above, they're interested. Uh, there's what I'll call the middleweights. They're looking more at firms in the 100 million to 500 million space. And then I'll call it the welterweights. They're looking, I've, I've seen private equity looking as small as $5 million of revenues up to a hundred million. So uh, the, the good news on this is there's a place for everyone. The bad news is I would say judging by the number of uh, PE firms that want to get into this space, there's probably more PE firms that want to get in than there are available accounting firms. You know, there's, I should probably just put this out there for, uh, for those listening. There's 45,000 accounting firms. It sounds like a staggering number. 33,000 are sole practitioners, 12, uh, 11,000 are uh, two to three partner firms. Um, looking at it the other way, the 100th largest firm, you're already down to revenues of 50 million. The 200th largest firm is 25 million. The 300th largest firm is 13 million. And the 400th largest firm is 10 million. So in an industry of 45,000, one could argue that there's really only 500 firms that matter that are probably in the wheelhouse of what private equity wants to go after. Right. Got it. So you, you touched on this a little bit before, but I'd love to get Mm -hmm. further into some of the ways that the accounting sector is evolving. Um, Not only so we can forecast where this industry is headed, but so that we can take a look at how this space could be even more appealing to acquirers and create an opportunity for value creation. You know, most of the, I feel like I've become a fundraiser with accounting firms. You know, our wheelhouse is pretty much the top uh, two, 300 accounting firms. And we do a lot of strategy work. And um, uh, I think the last couple of years, it's been more like uh, being a fundraiser because what we really say to firms is, look, there's three doors here. Door number one, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Groundhog Day with Bill Murray, but it's sort of do the same thing over and over. And lots of firms just keep doing that. Uh, the last three years has been great profitability. They've been able to raise rates. They've been able to get rid of crappy clients. And honestly, if you can't make, couldn't make money the last couple of years in public accounting, you probably should look for some other job. That's the good news. The bad news is we're all killing ourselves because we can't find people. We have a capacity problem. Uh, because of that, we've raised rates dramatically for our A clients and we've uh, fired more C clients than we've done probably in the decade before. So making great money, but not a sustainable way to do business. So the question becomes is how much, as you know, accounting firms have zero EBITDA. They clear the till every year. It's called partner comp. How much of your money are you willing to give, willing to give back to the cause to, if you will, transform the firm? You know, we call it the fourth industrial revolution. And for a hundred years, the accounting profession sort of got a free pass. 
Uh, now they've got to have a wake-up call. And they, what the message is, do you want to just keep grinding like you're grinding until you can't? That's door one. Door two is, do you want to put the current company out of business? Uh, do you want to sort of reinvent yourself and move from being a compliance shop to a consulting and advisory firm? If you do, we need capital. And number three, if you don't want to give capital, then door number three is let's merge upstream, either with what we call a mere mortal, that's a larger firm that's not PE owned, or one that is PE owned. And um, what we found the last couple of years is many, many what I'll call fiercely independent firms, that's the door two, uh, have moved to door three. Because what they used to say is, we never needed capital, but now we need it. And number two, the economics of merging up was terrible. There, there was no win. You get nothing. Uh, you just get that unfunded chain letter that you already had. So hence the question is, will it be our own money reducing current comp? Will we go to the bank and borrow money? Will we do nothing? Or will we partner with someone else and together we can accomplish something faster and better that probably neither of us could have accomplished on our own. That seems to be where a lot of the bell ringing is currently going on. We'll get back to the interview shortly after a word about DealMax, the annual conference hosted by the Association for Corporate Growth. DealMax returns to the Aria Resort and Casino in Las Vegas on April 29th through May 1st. It brings together middle market dealmakers from across the globe for networking, content sessions, and roundtable discussions. Registration will be open until April 23rd at dealmax.org, where you can also see a list of who's attending. The DealMax meeting scheduling tool goes live this spring, so make sure you're registered by then to lock in your meetings before calendars fill up. DealMax is truly the can't-miss event for anyone working in the middle market, and we hope to see you there. So register today at dealmax.org. Now back to the interview. Now we talked about some of the challenges of investing in accounting firms. Let's switch over to some of the green flags that private equity firms should be looking out for. Do you have any tips on how potential acquirers can determine whether an accounting firm is an attractive target? I sure do. And what a what a wonderful question. You know, my my stats look something like this. I I've had five or six that have crossed the finish line, but I've had ten to twelve that have died. <laughs> and um, you know, in our world, accounting firm on accounting firm is really easy. Uh, come join us. You get nothing. You get the same crappy deal we get when we retire. Unfortunately, there's three or four rites of passage that private equity, when they come in, uh, cause us to think about. Number one, the brain of an accountant, and trust me, I've got about 100,000 hours of studying that brain invested. They are not, and I can say this because I am one, they're not risk takers. They don't want their world rocked. They, they're a product of predictable behaviors. They detest change. But other than that, they're pretty flexible business people. Um, and I'm being a little sarcastic here, but it's leadership of the firm. And can they sell an alternative way of doing something that up until recently had never been done before? If they get through that passage, the next passage is, are they profitable enough? 
you know, as accounting firms are learning more about the PE process, it's EBITDA times multiple equals enterprise value. Well, if you can't put a strong EBITDA on the table, and in order to do that, you probably need to be in the upper third from a profitability standpoint of our profession, uh, high average partner income, uh, and many, many firms just aren't profitable enough. You know, I get a lot of these calls from accounting firms. Can you help me find a PE partner? And I said, just send me your numbers. And I look at it and they're in the bottom half or bottom quadrant of earnings. And I say, you don't qualify for the loan. And they said, what do you mean? I said, you're just going to get insulted because we can't scrape enough of the shareholder comp to even get close to getting you an enterprise value of one times revenues. Best thing you can do if you need to merge is merge with a mere mortal, a bigger accounting firm, or let's go get, let's go find a way to make more money. Let's just pretend we're in business to make more money. So the EBITDA is is a third, second one. Uh, the third one uh, is, okay, we, we get to an LOI and we have an enterprise value. The partnership agreements, for the most part, are silent on how to allocate the funds. Some would say, you know, some have an ownership percentage. Some would say, we'll take your comp divided by the total comp. We'll create a percentage. That's what you get. Others would say, take out a dartboard and we're just going to guess. And, and so there's a navigation that goes on of how to allocate enterprise value, both the cash at close, as well as the rollover equity. And in some of those deals that died, it died right there. And if you get through all those three, the, there's a fourth one, we call it the big four. It's when the PE firm goes out and hires the national accounting or consulting firm to come in and do a Q of E or uh, due diligence. More times than not, those firms, uh, and I and I say that respectfully, my son, Brian, works at one of those firms, RSM, in their transaction advisory group, but they kick the crap out of the numbers. And, and now the, the war starts. Uh, we, to get the partner votes, have already sold a certain EBITDA and a certain deal. We thought we heard from the PE group they'd stand behind us, and, um, and now they're nowhere to be found. And now there's a retrading going on. And I'd say if there's one thing that has aggravated, irritated the accounting firms vis-a-vis -vis the PE partners, it has been that. Uh, the messaging is go do your own Q of E before you go to market, uh, come prepared, and um, assume that some of that uh, EBITDA will get reduced. So those are the four pillars that hurt it one way. You're probably going to ask me, what a, flip it around, what is it about the accounting firms that they need to look for in a PE partner. Most firms to make it through the PE portal uh, are uber successful. So the last thing they're looking for in a PE partner is someone that's going to come in and micromanage the crap out of the business. Uh, that, that's a non-starter, but some firms like to get really involved and go beyond that of being a high-level strategic and capital partner. The second one is, uh, I always love to ask a PE firm, give me your EBITDA range. And, you know, they'll say to me something like, well, it's uh, five to 20 million, but we could go as high as 50. Well, oftentimes what that means is they're going to bring another partner in, but it's a warning sign to the accounting firm that if you're going to go and two, three, four, five X this business, that, that capital partner may have to sort of reapply every time to get the funding to make that happen. So you want to get in with a firm that is not just has the financial wherewithal, 
but more precisely, and it's probably the most important point, shares the vision of what you're trying to achieve together. Mm. Uh, you know, if you think about it by definition, PE firms are in the business of growing EBITDA and selling that investment. Accounting firms are in the business of building, creating the firm of future today, which takes capital, which goes against building EBITDA. So you got to really establish, we call it the Bill of Rights pretty early to find out if we really, in fact, are compatible together. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes sense. As I mentioned, I wanted to get back to this topic of the great resignation. You said earlier mm-hmm. that there was a, a lot of departures of, of professionals in, in this industry. We're also seeing that interest in the profession overall is dwindling by students and younger professionals. So how big of a concern is this human capital issue for potential acquirers? And could an influx of capital help to counteract it? Yeah, uh, it's a huge concern and it should be a huge concern. Uh, I will tell you when this shakes out, uh, you're going to have some winners and some losers. I think there are firms today that are in what I'll call asset building mode. They're investing real capital today, whether they're part of PE or not, to build that firm of the future. And the truth is, in the old days, and this is my visual for the day, and I know we're just on audio here, but think of a pyramid, a handful of partners, a decent number of managers and oodles and oodles of staff to do the work, called the leverage model. That model no longer exists. Uh, Think of it now more as a diamond shape, some partners, more mid-level people, and not as many people at the bottom. Why? Because 15 to 20% of all billable hours now get sent to India. You know, the big four was uh, a lot smarter than firms five to 500. 25 years ago, they saw that light. And what you've had is lots of capital being deployed over the last decade of getting people in other places outside the U.S. to get work done at $25 an hour versus the same $125 an hour we pay here. Uh, That's a competitive advantage. We're also seeing in this asset building model, deep, deep investments in technology, in AI, blockchain, machine learning, you know, I was with a firm recently that is uh, maybe the number one bank audit firm in America. Um, the leader of that practice was asking the group about blockchain and said, don't you get it? Uh, you know what blockchain is going to do? Blockchain is real-time reporting. When we do our bank audits, it's 100 days after the fact. One could argue it's a report card of the past. It's stale goods. Well, if they get to a point where they can come out with real-time reporting, they're going to eliminate, this is their words, not mine, they're going to eliminate the middleman, and the middleman is us. So you have this great migration on the compliance side where some of that business could be evaporating over a period of time. Uh, You know, people always say to me, wait, Alan, wait, 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 wait. We're going to get the same revenue, but we're going to have less labor. So wouldn't our profit margin be higher? And normally would say yes, but the reality is if you look at the last 50 years of public accounting, we have the franchise to do an audit. And oftentimes who wins the audit? The lowest price. So I believe any of those technological savings up to a point will be minimized because the marketplace buys a commodity product and they'll still always be looking for lowest price. 
Um, so those are the kinds of investments, again, talent, technology, transformation. Uh, I do think there's a group of firms out there that have become, you know, they've eliminated the bricks and mortar. They've become virtual firms. They can now recruit talent uh, all over the country. Uh, and there's not one size fits all anymore. If you want to work full time and come in the office, God bless you. If you want to work part time and be remote, we can do that. If you need flexible scheduling, if you don't want a career path to become a partner, we've got an alternative career path. I mean, I've seen accounting firms get more religion on the human capital equation in the last three and a half years than they've had in the last 35. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, what what the leadership of these firms has said, they've called the marketing department. And they said, I want you and the HR department to merge. <laughs> and I want you to treat recruiting talent as the number one industry niche we're going after. So millions of dollars, billions of dollars at the big four uh, being spent on how to recruit steel stars, how to retain, have happy people. And then most importantly is how to get them to reach their potential and ultimately become future partners future leaders at our firm. Okay. Well, the accounting industry clearly is looking towards the future. So looking ahead here, um, as more private equity firms invest in and acquire accounting firms, what are the next, you know, four to five years going to look like, especially as these investors prepare for exit? What will the M&A landscape look like? Are strategic acquirers going to enter the fold? Give me a picture there. Fantastic question, Carolyn. Uh, So the, the crystal ball, if we look to the future, I think one of the things we didn't plan on was the outside investor being something other than a PE firm. We should probably start there. You know, I've received uh, calls and, and there's deal discussions in progress from very large uh, family offices, from sovereign wealth funds, uh, from, uh, you know, every day is a new one, large teachers' pension funds. I, I think it's out there a little bit that accounting firms are good investments. They're, <laughs> They can be run better. The partnership model is not the best way to run a business. They have sticky clients. They're good and ethical people. They thrive when it's in good times as well as bad times during recessions. Um, They undervalue their business, as we talked about early on, and they need capital and a strategic partner to recreate their businesses. So this perfect storm is is something that's attracted not just P.E., but all these kinds of businesses, you know, uh, Carolyn is in, in the, you can't make this stuff up about a year and a half ago. I'm out in the backyard doing work on the lawn and I get a phone call from an eight one six cell phone number on a Sunday afternoon. And I, I think it's my cousin, you know, trying to prank me again. He's always <laughs> doing that. And he says, is this Colton? And I go, yeah. He says, I hear you're the guy. I go, okay. Uh, to do what? Uh, and he says, to go find me a billion dollar accounting firm. And I go, oh, that's fine. That's a good one. Yeah, there's hundreds of those out there. Truth be known, there's only 10 of them in America. And I said, so w- why? And he, and he says, well, we're a big wealth management firm. And we think that if we can find a great accounting firm with a substantial tax practice, we can take our business to the next level. I'm obviously paraphrasing a little bit. You know, finally, I asked the individual who I thought was my cousin if they could spell the name of their company, you know, trying to sort of end this call. And he says, okay, 
the first word is creative, C-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And the second word is planning. And that's with two ends. And he says to me, he says, you have no idea who I am, do you? I said, uh, I don't. He says, I'm Peter Maluk. I'm the, the founder of CEO of Creative Planning. We're a 200 some billion dollar wealth management firm based in Kansas City. Mm. Said, Peter, I feel terrible. I thought you were my cousin. <laughs> and I said, but why would you why would you slum it? Why would you go buy an accounting firm at a time where accounting firms, we want to go buy wealth management firms because they make a lot of money, more money than us. And and in classic, it was almost like I was talking to Sam Walton from Walmart. You know, remember Sam's thing? I get in the river in the boat and I watch how the competition's rowing and I go the other way. Counterintuitive. What does he say? He says, look, Alan, in the world of wealth management. When you're when the market's up, you're a hero. When the market's down, they leave you. He said, what we have is, I don't know, 20, 30, we call them prongs, the value-added services for high net worth clients that we like to stick in them. And we find the more of those we deliver, the less likely they are to leave in good and bad times. We are that trusted advisor. The problem is if I go to a national firm and bring one tax person over, you know, <laughs> there's no scale. So we've concluded we know to find a great accounting firm that's heavy in high net worth, tax, bring them in. To which I said to him, I said, but you can't just bring that in. You got to bring in audit. You got to bring in cyber technology, forensic, business valuation, um, client accounting services. Uh, and his comment was a, was a really intelligent one. He said, you know what? If they're good businesses and we can grow them, bring it on. And if that's what we need to do to unlock all that tax talent, let's go for it. So every day, I kid you not, Carolyn, since that first quarter of 2020, I wake up, I get a call, I hear something and I says, wow, that's never been done before. And here you have that playing out right in front of us. So when we talk about the future, I would say that private equity and other outside third-party investors will be in the accounting profession in a major way, not just with the big four, who I happen to believe at some point will all be PE owned and or an IPO. I know there's some jockeying and some trash talking going on right now about who's in and who's not. They'll all be in. They all need capital. And think about that. When, when 20, 30, $40 billion firms need capital, and that's not enough to what they have, that just tells you the thirst for transformation and the investment needed in technology and talent. But I also believe that you'll see mid-sized accounting firms being PE owned, and they'll go all the way down to the smallest firms uh, in America. Uh, a good friend of mine here in Chicago became a bit of a trivia question. Uh, Jeremy Dubois, his firm is NDH. He became the smallest accounting firm, uh, 10 million of revenue, uh, to be owned, uh, uh, co-owned by a PE fund, uh, Unity Partners, that happened last February. And so when I see investments going all the way down to 10 million which of revenue, which in our profession would be the 400th largest accounting firm, I can't help but think by the time this is over, there are 30, 40, 50 PE firms playing ball in our profession. Mm. Uh, I think you were alluding to the what happens in, you know, after the typical hold period of five to mm -hmm. seven years. Uh, I think the next wave of buyers will be there. It's lots of the ones I just identified. But I would tell you that the first two that have really stood the test of time 
Eisner Amper and Towerbrook Capital. That's a July 1 of 21. And Citroen Cooperman and New Mountain Capital. That's an October 1 of 21. Those two, I would say, if we had them on the call, they would tell you they've not only hit a home run, they've hit a Grand Slam home run. Those mm-hmm. firms have more than doubled their revenue, two to three times their EBITDA, more than doubled the rollover equity. They've got happy partners, and they're already getting inquiries from buyers saying, hey, you did an amazing job. You took a $400 million business and in a couple of years made it a billion-dollar business. We'd like to come in and take it to 2 to $3 billion, or stories like that. So uh, game on. It's not going away. Carolyn, the interesting thing is I was warned early on once one PE group cra- cracks the code, They'll all be in, and boy, did that play out uh, in its entirety. (laughs) And it sounds like it's still playing out. Alan Colton, thank you so much for joining the Conversations podcast. It's been such a pleasure. Thanks, Carolyn. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. Thanks again for listening.